Good morning, everybody. Uh, we've got a bit of a, a kind of a change in, in schedule in a number of different ways. Obviously, with spring break upon us, uh, everything kind of changes. I love living in a college town during spring break. And uh, summertime's another time I love living in a college town. And uh, it's, it's lots of, lots of activities that, that kind of come and go in terms of the, the ebb and flow. Uh, definitely want you to be praying for, uh, you may or may not know this, but we've got a number of mission trips that are happening right now. And so we've got about 70 to 80 that are actually in Austin, Texas at the Down Home Ranch, uh, home that kind of helps uh, those with uh, with mental handicaps, and uh, it's been real kind of an ex- exciting time. To uh, I was on the very first trip that they had, and uh, Rona Tracy is really excited about this uh, this this group that is going right now. And so you can be praying for them, as well as we've got some college students, about thirty or so, that are headed uh, to, or actually that are probably already there, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they're serving there this week. We've actually got a high school team that is in uh, Piedras Negras, Mexico. Uh, some of us call that home, away from home. Uh, so that's something you can be praying for. And then we've got our junior high group, which are actually serving right now in Dallas, Texas. Um, so there's just a lot, about over 150 people uh, from our fellowship that are actually in different places serving and sharing the good news about who Jesus Christ is and the implications of his coming. And so I would love for you to just join me here uh, and pray for them. And let me add one other group that it's good for us to always pray for. Um, obviously, we've got a lot of college students, especially in this service, that are right now back with family. And uh, it can be one of those real incredible opportunities We deal with it quite a bit, uh, where there are college students that have an opportunity to go away to college. Many of them um, have a growing, very passionate, exciting relationship with Jesus Christ. And then so these spring breaks really become an opportunity for them to go home and either to encourage their family to consider faith or to encourage their family by showing the faith that is happening in them. And so let's not forget um, our college students as well, and let's pray for, uh, uh, for their time uh, with their families as a time of both refreshment, but also a time of witness. So will you pray with me now? God, I thank you for uh, your provision and for your kindness to us. God, you've asked us to go. Uh, God, you've commanded us to go. Uh, You have reminded us of the very natural aspect of our lives in which we just share the goodness of what you have done for us, particularly in Jesus. And it is exciting to think about um, just how much this congregation over the next few weeks will be serving in a multitude of ways. God, there is uh, a good thing to plan an intentional trip and to go with an intentional group and to make an intentional difference. And yet I pray that all of us would recognize the need for us to live missionally no matter where we are. And so God, um, during this upcoming week, for those of us that are going to be visiting family or friends, um, may we recognize that you don't have to be in Mexico or Albuquerque or an inner city context to be an ambassador for you. May sharing the truth about you be a natural extension of each and every one of our lives who know you and who love you. So God, give us the strength and the wisdom to know how to share that. It's in Christ's name and for his glory we give this to you. And all God's people said, amen. Be praying for them this week. Um, We are, we've taken down the Matthew sign because over the next few weeks what we really want to do is focus in preparation for Easter that's coming up. Uh, What usually happens 
is that there are those two great Christian holidays, Christmas and Easter, and we spend, you know, some time preparing, some time uh, getting ready, but we usually, when we talk about that, it's more like, have you done your Christmas shopping? Um, Do you have the Easter egg, bunny, rabbit, chocolate things ready? Are we having ham or turkey? Those are the usual decisions that we're trying to deal with, and we miss the very strong, most essential spiritual component of this. And so something is actually broken in the life of a church. If you show up around the Christmas time and go, oh, that's right, Jesus is born today. Sweet. God took on human flesh, incarnated himself in human flesh so that humanity might find peace with God. Huh, what'd you get for Christmas, right? And we kind of miss some of that. We miss the, the, the depths of, of those things. And same with, same with Easter. It's easy for us to just think of it as this great time to wear pastel colors, uh, to spend a little bit of extra time with family. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, uh, proving the fact that he was the Messiah. Hey, um, who's racing in NASCAR today or whatever, right? That's not how we should do it. And so as much as I could be preaching from any text, we really want to focus our hearts and our minds on the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. And so today we are going to be looking at the triumphal entry, um, and God will be providing the exclamation points at his discretion. Uh, We had some great ones first service, by the way. Uh, I, I have no control over that. Okay, so that's, that's God doing it whenever he wants. Um, but we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry, and we're going to be dealing with this particular idea that they know not what they say. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, the crowds are going to make some rather profound statements. And I don't, well, I would argue very strongly, they have no idea what they are ultimately saying. They're saying it with enthusiasm. They're saying it with passion. They're even right, but they just don't understand what they are saying. Next week when we come back in preparation for Easter, we are going to be dealing with the betrayal, the trial, and the execution, crucifixion, of Jesus Christ under the title that they know not what they do. I I just can't believe that they think this is in fact the Messiah, the Son of God, let's kill him. No, they, 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 they don't understand the fullness. And actually, the Bible will even describe what they do as being done in ignorance. And so let's just think about that. They, 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 you, don't, you don't just kill the Son of God um, uh, in terms of the, the kind of the uh, normal understanding of, of who he is. You, you just don't end up there. So next week, they know not what they do. And then finally, the week after that, we're going to be talking about, and they do not know what they see. They know not what they see. The resurrection was not something that the disciples expected or planned. Um, They didn't say goodbye to Jesus and thought, oh, you know what, but hey, in three days, let's just relax, because he's coming back. It's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. I mean, they didn't have that mindset. They literally thought they had said goodbye to him, and that they might see him one day, way in the future, when the resurrection of all the dead happens, but then Jesus Christ comes back in the flesh, and there is a real resurrection, and they are absolutely astounded. And that one event fundamentally changes human history, and that is why we are here today, is because Jesus Christ, by him being raised from the dead, gave proof to the fact that your faith and my faith is not in vain, that we are not crazy, and that we're not just wishful thinking. 
we believe that our sins have been forgiven. And how do we know that? Because Jesus Christ was in fact raised from the dead, giving proof that God accepted his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And so we're gonna be just focusing on those three things over the next three weeks. Um, hope that you will be with us. Hope that you will join in that. But more than anything else, that your hearts and minds will be ready to respond as the Spirit moves and as the text leads. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to Mark chapter 11. That's where we're going this morning. I could have picked any one of the gospel accounts. I know that we're in Matthew, and I thought about actually staying in Matthew, but I'll be in the Matthew text uh, probably in the next year or so, so I thought, let's go somewhere else. Mark and Matthew have a lot of similarities between those two accounts. And in Mark's account, beginning in, in, in verse one of chapter 11, we are going to see some, some very important setup information that actually happens, and, and it's gonna be good for us to even take our thoughts about what is happening during this event and having them shape and conformed into the way the Bible wants us to think about them. Um, there is something dangerous with sentimentality. I, and I can be a rather, I know some of you won't believe this, but I actually am a rather sentimental guy. I care deeply about uh, times in my children's life or even times my wife actually. I, I'm, I'm often much more sentimental than she actually is looking back on our relationship and different places that we've gone, different things that we've done. Um, and there can be something special about that. There can be something like human and intimate and responsive to those kinds of things. But there can also be something superficial about it when it is mere sentimentality. And so when we actually think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all we wrestle with is, wow, and just think about how much he loved us that he would die. That's really not the way the Bible describes it. Or let's think about the, the possibilities of a new life and spring and flowers and, and just that's really not how the Bible describes it. Those things are not the primary focus as Noah is building the ark, right? Isn't that crazy? I can't believe it's not leaking in here yet, to be honest with you. That's my, that's my surprise. But when you look at the mere sentimentality the mere sentimentality of Easter or the sentimentality of Christmas, then what we end up doing is robbing the story of its ultimate purpose and power that God designed it to be. And you and I can walk away and, oh, isn't that special or isn't that cute or isn't that memorable? And that's not what God is asking. God's not asking for you to feel sorry for him over this next few weeks. God's not asking for your heart to kind of just ache or even to be like inspired by new life and new possibilities. What God is asking for is for you to recognize the fullness of who he is and then live a life of joyful obedience to who God is in God's plan of redemption and purpose through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what God desires of us and for us. And so that's how we should look at this text. Mark chapter one, or sorry, Mark chapter 11, verse one. And now when they, and these are the disciples and Jesus, and now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, which were just a little bit, if you're kind of still looking at that picture, and so there's the Eastern Gate, and then you've got the Kidron Valley, and then on the other side where that picture was taken from, and I was actually probably with Jody when she took that picture, um, is, the, is the, uh, the Mount of Olives, and the, and the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just on the other side of that valley. 
And then as you go up over that valley and then down the road a little bit, that's where you're going to find Bethany and Bethpage. So Jesus is walking. He is going to go through the Mount of Olives, down into the Kidron Valley, back up and to go through that gate. And they're on their way, and this is a difficult place to be going. When the disciples think about this, and going back to Jerusalem, which is known as this hotbed of religious conservatism, where Jesus Christ and his life has been threatened before. The disciples know that Jerusalem is a place where Jesus may go and die. Sometimes they say, well, why are we going there, Jesus? Last time we were there, they tried to kill you. Other times they say, let us go so that we might die with him. And you need to realize, I need to realize, that when you look at this story about Jesus Christ going to Jerusalem and watch how it unfolds, He is not just walking blindly into this. He is not at the mercy of the crowds. His life is not at the discretion of the religious leaders. Jesus Christ is going purposefully because he is fulfilling the will of his Father. He knows he is going to die. And he is going faithfully. And so just look at the amount of control and intentionality that is in this text. So, um, let me start back at verse one. So now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. Now, by the way, to ride a donkey that no one has ever ridden before is a feat in and of itself. There have been a number of different times in the Bible that something like this comes up and it is designed to show you, yeah, something is actually happening here. Um, This is like this far away from being a rodeo, okay? And so when you look at this, there there is a miraculous element to what is happening here. So this, this donkey has never been ridden before. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them that what Jesus had said and they let them go. And so there is an intentionality about this. There is a purpose about this. And one last thing that you need to recognize is that so often preachers have made the statement that Jesus does not come riding in. Like for example, if you were to come riding in, in all of your splendor, what would you want to come riding in on, right? A white stallion. That's what I'm coming in on, right? Kind of like some famous, yeah, and I'm riding this horse, and I've got this sword, and this is what this, but not Jesus. Jesus, the humble carpenter, came in riding on a donkey. How many of you have heard this? Raise your hand. Riding on a donkey. Why? To demonstrate his humility. Um, Jesus was humble. Jesus was profoundly meek. But let me give you a very important piece of historical information. Kings, Israelite kings, did not ride white stallions. That would be a sign of Roman imperial oppression or Parthian oppression. And so to ride in on a white stallion just doesn't really fit for a Jewish king. But what would fit for a Jewish king? Does anybody know? Answer, a donkey. 
It's really not a sign of humility, although Jesus is very humble, don't get me wrong. But it is a sign of his authority. He didn't go, ah, what should I, what should I ride in on? I know what I'll do. I'll ride in on a donkey to show them all how sweet I am. No, he knows who he is. Especially in Matthew's gospel, he is the son of the king of David. He is the rightful heir to the throne, the one that God has appointed. In, in fact, Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, Messiah means the anointed one, and so Jesus very nas- naturally and nationally rides in on this donkey. Verse seven, and they brought the colt to Jesus, and they drew their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and they spread out their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, most likely palm branches, demonstrating, again, kind of this nationalistic fervor, this excitement about here comes our king, here comes the one who's going to rescue us, here comes the one who's going to save us, and I want you to just think about this, save us from what? See, I read this and I go, wow, look at them. They're all deeply convicted about their sin. And they're all just, they all know how much they need Jesus to be their savior who died vicariously for their, for their own sins. No, they want free from Roman oppression. They want to have their own nation again. They want to have nationalistic boundaries. They want to have people that will pay them tribute. They want to have a very strong and powerful nation once again. And here comes Jesus riding on the colt. He is the one. And so what they are doing is singing and getting very excited about the possibility of a whole new time where they can be reigned, or they can, they can literally be under the reign of this great Davidic king. And that is why they sing what they sing. That is why they say what they say and do what they do. Verse nine, and those who went out before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then notice, notice the kind of the nationalistic fervor. And remember, these are people who are saying this, who, yes, it's right, but you have to kind of read into it. What are they thinking when they say these words? These are people who in just a few short days are gonna be saying, crucify him, crucify him. And here's what they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So if I wanted to really translate this word Hosanna, which kind of just means this this God save us, but what does it mean by God save us? I, I love this particular rendition of what they're really getting at here. They are repeatedly saying over and over and over again, Praise God and his, or Yahweh, praise Yahweh and his Messiah, for we are saved. Hosanna. Praise God and his anointed one, his Messiah, his king, for we are saved. And they're saying this over and over and over again. They are absolutely excited and more than willing to accept Jesus Christ. But sadly, at at very best, if I, can, if I can just muster up as much kindness as I can to this particular crowd, at best, they had only a small idea of what they were saying. Jesus had spoken the truth about who he was. Jesus had been very clear, 
preaching to the crowds, about counting the cost, about what it was going to mean to follow him, about the kingdom that he was going to set up, the kingdom that he was going to establish. And they're more than willing to get in on it. But I, I just have to go back and even take a look at the life of the disciples who were closest to him. And whenever Jesus Christ would say things like, and in, 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 Mark, in Mark 8, he actually says that Jesus says this plainly or kind of clearly. And Jesus says this, that the Messiah is going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and he's going to be put to death. And then after three days, he will rise again. And Peter's response to that was not, wow, Jesus, well, hey, listen, you know better than anybody, we're on board. What does Peter say? Never. That's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna let that happen. That's not how messiahs live. That's not how messiahs act. It's very interesting that these people, as they are shouting and proclaiming, praise God, praise God and his messiah, for we are saved. Do not understand at best. They have a very small glimpse. And God is promising them a salvation that is much deeper and much more profound. God is promising them a peace that is far more reaching than anything that they are thinking. And it's at times like this, I just have to stop and ask, well, I don't know, you, you guys just sang some songs, right? We sang some songs. And how many of you went, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. I might be singing this a little bit off, off uh, you know, I, the timing might be a little bit off, but I want to make sure I'm on board with what I'm about to sing. Or do you just start singing, right? Chances are you just start, there was one song, I, I kind of like this one. It, it, it basically said, like, everything that I believe in, I now surrender to you, Jesus. How many of you sang that? Raise your hand if you sang that. Now, were you going, okay, now hold on a second. Before I just finish singing this sentence, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, singing with authenticity. Everything that I believe in, I'm now going to surrender to Jesus Christ. Or were you just singing? Right? We just sing. We don't stop and to reflect on the profound words. Everything that I believe in, I now surrender to you. So before we're too hard on these people, <laughs> Let's be honest, we can get really, really excited about who Jesus Christ is, and we can just go through the motions, and then after a while stop and think, wow, did I really mean what I just said, or did I really understand what I just said? You've probably heard people say that children um, are just, when, when they say things, they can just be profoundly wise and deep. Have you ever had a kid's? Say something to you, and you're like, wow, that's deep, right? Yeah, they don't know what they're saying. I promise you, when a child says something profound, before you put it on Facebook, okay, and describe how your kid's the smartest kid in the world, okay, ask your child what they meant by that statement. Ask them to pontificate and to extrapolate what that statement actually means to its far-reaching implications ontologically, epistemologically, okay? And you know what your kid's gonna say? What? I want chocolate, right? They're not, they don't know. They don't know, now hear me. They say profound things. I know, I know, I know. I have three kids and two of them said very profound things, okay? <laughs> said very profound things. 
But I knew they didn't know what they were saying. I knew it. How can we keep from being that? How can we keep from being, and not childlike, Jesus, Jesus loves childlike, teachable, moldable, bendable, right? Where, where you really do surrender your plan and purposes and everything that you believe to. That kind of childlikeness, Jesus lifts up. Childishness is just foolish. We grow up out of childish ideas and we try to hold on to our childlike nature. That's the purpose here. And so how do we remain childlike without speaking childish things about Jesus Christ? I've got two. First one is, is that you and I need to do the heavy lifting, the hard thinking about knowing the difference between, first of all, these two things. The difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Do you know the difference about, between knowing about him and knowing him? Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus was a Jewish man, lived a couple thousand years ago. His mom's name was Mary. His dad, according to what they understood, was Joseph. He had some brothers and sisters, of which we know names of a few of them. Um, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He started a ministry when he was roughly 30. He gathered a group of disciples. I mean, how many of you know all this stuff, right? So you know about him. Like we teach about Jesus. We give you facts and you know about Jesus, like I know about Michael Jordan. And is that what it's like? A couple of months ago, I just decided um, that I needed a break from my 2,193 friends on Facebook. I don't even know why I actually joined Facebook. It was a number of years ago, and I'm just thinking to myself, why would anybody be on Facebook? I was actually at Youthquake, and I just heard a number of young people just describing just how important it was and how, you know, if, if you're not on Facebook, you're not a real human being. And so I remember thinking to myself, we had a young girl get baptized in uh, first service, and I remember thinking, well, how, how can I find out, like, how these kids, what they're all about, and they'll put most of it on Facebook. And so I really thought, well, you know, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe I should just quit thinking I'm too grown up for this. And so it was probably about eight or nine years ago. I decided I'm going to get on, on this Facebook thing. And I'm pretty excited. I've got over 2,000 friends. And we're close. We're close. I remember at first actually thinking, you know, I'm going to be real restrictive about my friends. You know, and then I started thinking, I'm, I'm going to meet somebody someday. And they're going, seriously, like you're too good to be my friend? And I'm like, well, Facebook friend? I mean, I just, I don't know if I can manage all of this. And so I, I, I try to spend seven, eight, ten hours a day trying to, you know, know each of my Facebook friends. No, I don't. I kind of scan through. I think they even kind of scan through and let me know which ones I want to see or don't want to see or something. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how much this can actually begin to consume your life. And yet you really don't know anybody. And yet it seems like I know every, it seems like I know a lot of information about a lot of people, and what's amazing is, and yet I know them less. Maybe because I've deceived myself into thinking that I really know them. And it's also interesting to note that really when it comes to social media, what we really know about each other is what we want others to know about us. 
And so I'm glad that you begin your devotions every day, and I'm glad to see that you uh, went on a date with your daughter. And, you know, all these things are wonderful things, really. Like, I just, I can be rather envious of, uh, of a perfect life that you have. Like, very seldom does somebody put on Facebook, yeah, me and my wife just had a real serious fight. She stormed out to be continued, right? <laughs> and if you do get it, then you're one of those people, right? And I just, I couldn't help. I mean, I'm kind of enjoying this break away from it. And I'm, and I just, I began to think, like, I can begin to treat Jesus that way. And by the way, it's not the Bible's fault. I hear people say, yeah, it's because the Bible's, no, the, the Bible is not the problem. The fact that this is a book is, is not the issue. It's, it's, it's our heart that's the issue. It is our heart that is the issue. It is the fact that you and I can be satisfied in knowing about him and kind of reducing it to facts and to figures. And that's just never the way a relationship, an intimate relationship was designed to be. And so this group of people, as they are saying things about Jesus that are very true, Hosanna, God is gonna save us. Praise God and his anointed one. You're his anointed one and we're delivered. Thank you so much. And they just know about him. They do not know him intimately. And I think it is good as we prepare to celebrate, if we're gonna celebrate the resurrection in a few weeks, it's good to know, like, has the resurrection, the truth about the resurrection, like, transformed your life? Have you moved beyond a childlike knowing about Jesus? Okay, or I mean a childish, knowing about Jesus to a childlike wonder and fascination and, and, and I'm gonna use the word like an intimacy with God. I hear people describe God and Jesus Christ in particular um, as someone that is really close to them or someone really intimate and I, I, I describe that and I'll be honest with you, there are sometimes he seems more like an idea to me. And yet I know down deep that's never what he was designed to be. Like we're not here to celebrate some really cool ideas about a guy that lived a long time ago. We are here to get to know and to worship and to live in intimate relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love to be reminded by this simple fact and, and where this really begins to kind of show like where how it comes, comes to life is when, when life cuts short. Um, whenever I have an opportunity to be with families around those most intimate and painful and vulnerable times, we begin to really begin to know like what bubbles to the surface. And I, I, I'd even submit to your help for those times in my life when this happens. I want at my funeral, I want them to be able to say, should I go after my dear, lovely wife? I want them to be able to say things like, yeah, like Jim, Jim, it'll be nice to see Andrea again. It'll be good to see his folks. He really liked them. But I'll tell you, he was just really excited about seeing Jesus. Like I get it. And I'm all, I'm all for giving some leeway in those moments by having those thoughts. But why is it that when people die, we usually talk about, yeah, they're so excited to see their mom again or their dad again or their, oh, because those are real relationships. 
right? Like those are significant, that's a real relationship. The relationship with my dad, like that's a real one. The relationship with my wife, that's a real one. The relationship with my son, that's a real one. But the relationship with Jesus, that's, you know, that's like different. I'm telling you, love my wife, love my kids, love my parents. I want to see Jesus. I really do. I just want to see him. And I want to hear him say, like, it's okay. Like, the truth about me is really, really true, and you're really, really saved, and you are really, really at peace with my father. Come and meet him, and Jesus will take me to him. And, and then, you know, I don't know, after like 50 or 60 years, I'll say, hey, is Andrea here? You know? I mean, I thought she was. She was nicer than me, so definitely, you know? Is, did Matt make it? Good, because I was really worried, and you know, <laughs> Mac, yeah, we, we gave up on him, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where you got to ask the question, like, do you know about Jesus or do you know him? And I'm not trying to add a burden to your heart. I really am not. I'm not trying, I even get that sometimes it can just seem more natural to love that are closest to us, and to love God is a little bit different. I even get that. Just tell me that you're aware of that and you're growing in a desire to actually know him. Now, it goes a little bit deeper than that. So after we not just know about him, but now that we know him, this is where the people in the crowd make a serious mistake again. Do you understand the difference between the Messiah that you want and the Messiah who is? Do you recognize the difference between the Messiah that you want to exist and the Messiah who actually exists? This is one of the problems when we've got so much baggage regarding to sociology and psychology and philosophy. And and listen, those things can be helpful in us understanding who we are, okay? They really can be. I'm not here to just bash on those things. But when they reduce our understanding of Jesus Christ to mere psychology or sociology, where we are free to recreate Jesus into the image that you and I desire regarding our cultural context. What? What's fascinating is, is that never before has a group of people written like movies and TV shows and books about how this is who I am and you gotta love me for who I am, right? Watch any TV show. The number one thing on our movie, the number one thing is this is who I am and you gotta love me for who I am. You gotta accept me for who I am. And then Jesus becomes like some silly putty God. Moldable, bendable, put him on the comic book, peel it off. Yeah, that's exactly, he looks like whatever I want him to look like. And that's not who Jesus is. Like Jesus is, is, Jesus is more real than you and I. Like he has a real face. He had a real hair length, right? Probably somewhere between what we saw back in the pictures in the 70s and like the 1670s, somewhere between those two, right? He was Jewish, It's fascinating. That's why I've always thought like pictures of Jesus were interesting. Because on the one hand, I get that we got to do something. We don't have any like real pictures of him. But when I was in Thailand recently, the where I was staying, they had in the eating area this, I don't know, 1720 picture of Jesus 
long blonde hair, big kind of aura around the top of his head, you know. And I just remember kind of thinking to myself, huh, I can almost guarantee he did not look like that. Of all the things he could, I guarantee he didn't look like that. But they had it just kind of hanging over. And I just, I was, I was really kind of interested to, to note or to think about, like, this is what we all do. We love to take Jesus and make him in our image. And not just visually. But Jesus Christ comes and he is there to soothe us. Is he not? He's there to bring us peace and comfort. Is he not? And by the way, the answer is yes. And more. The answer is yes and more. He did it to me just a couple of weeks ago. I'm studying for my sermon on Matthew chapter 8. Hadn't been here for a couple of weeks. I was kind of excited to come back. I look at this text. It's Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Jesus healing people. Oh, this is going to be a great text. There's a leper who hasn't been touched. Jesus is going to show him some compassion and care. There's a centurion servant. Jesus is going to help this young man. Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus is going to, and I can just see this great outline and it's going to unfold and I'm going to get to encourage each of you with the wonderful, loving, compassionate, tender care of Jesus of Nazareth. I should preach the entire sermon like this. It's just sweet, is it not? He touches, he, he is so, and then right in the middle of that one story with the centurion's son, he or servant, depending upon if it's Mark or Matthew's text, um, he goes off on the people that are gonna go to hell. I'm like, Jesus, I had this outline done. You know, and I can either skip over it, which is one thing that we like to do. Let's just skip over that. Let's just, I mean, I could cut it short. I could extend it long. I could just not address it. But right in the middle of this centurion who says, Jesus, I have power and authority, and I tell people to go and come and come and go, and Jesus turns that whole thing into, and here is this man who is not even an Israelite, and he gets it, and the rest of you Jewish people are not even getting it. Do you realize they're going to get into heaven, and you're going to hell? And he just goes off on this. And I'm going, huh. Well, I guess I'm going to have to preach it. But we have this tendency. I want to skip over that. I want to take Jesus on my terms, not his. And I can sound just like the crowds. Praise God and his Messiah. Praise God and his Messiah, for we are saved from everything that I think that I need to be saved from. And from all of those inconveniences and all of those things that disturb me and trouble me and bother me. And may he save me from those things that I want. And may he continue to add to me those things that I want for my purposes. And I'm just like the crowds. I'm willing to take Jesus on my terms. Do you know the difference between the Messiah that you want and the Messiah who is? When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, did you come willing to take everything that you believe in and to surrender it to him? Or to just sing songs about doing that, but never really doing that? And what God desires is to give us the real Jesus, the full Jesus. And I know you think you know better, because I think sometimes I know better. But you don't, and I don't, but he does. 
So how we can get from Easter what God desires and what God plans is when we don't say, no, Jesus, this is what I want and this is what I don't want. He's not a buffet. But we say, Jesus, like, I'm ready to take the fullness of who you are. Like, I'm here to study from you and learn from you and have a real relationship with you. And, and where you and I begin to kind of disagree with one another, you're right and I'm wrong. And I'm here to take my life and wrap it around yours. So let me just ask you these three final questions as we leave. Three things to just reflect on over this Easter season. The first one is this. As you talk with God and as you have a relationship that continues to grow with God, do you know what you need? Like, do you know what you need? I love to just think about our prayer life. So if I were to ask you, kind of a very honest question, hey, what can I pray for? Like, do you know what you ultimately need? Because when the disciples and the crowds were singing, praise God, and we are saved, they didn't realize just how much Jesus could, in fact, save them and from what he could, in fact, save them from. They were more than glad to be settled with, if you could just give us peace from our Roman oppressors, if you could just give us a little bit more food in our barns, that's really all we need. And Jesus Christ realizes that there was so much more that they actually needed. I think this is one of the biggest problems with church in the West. Well, I wouldn't even say that. I've been all over too, too many places. It's a human problem. Is that we think that the most immediate needs are the ones that are the most important. And we fail to recognize that the most important thing that you and I need is peace with God. We, we need that kind of salvation. We need that kind of relational connectivity to the creator of the universe. We need that kind of freedom from our own sinful desires and our own sinful ways. We need to know what to ask for. And we need to recognize how important that is and how profound it is that Jesus Christ did not come so that we could have a better Christmas or a more relationally connective Easter but so that you and I would have full peace with the creator of the universe. Do you know what you need? And then kind of on the heels of that is, do you know what to ask for? And on the heels of that, like ask for it. Again, if Jesus is truly real, and if he desires to give you out of the abundance that he has, then those things that you need so desperately, like don't be afraid to ask for those things. Because Jesus Christ is truly there to deliver on his promise that you will have life to the abundance, to the fullest. And do you know what to ask for in light of the needs that you have? And then do you see God as ultimately someone who joyfully desires to give you forgiveness and grace and mercy and life? Lastly, do you know at all what you might be missing? I want you to think about your time in church, your time worshiping God, your time singing songs to him. There's a famous statement that was made years ago, and it went like this. It's not that the Christian life has been tried and found wanting. His fear was that the Christian life had never truly been tried 
I'm sure you've heard people say, like even Christian people say, yeah, I've tried the Christian thing. Have you heard Christian people say, yeah, you know, I'm just not getting a lot out of it right now? Like, tell me that's the real Jesus that's failed you. Like, tell me that what you see in the Bible and God's ultimate plan and purpose through Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like that is in fact what is letting you down. I think the majority of us have decided to settle for things about Jesus. We would rather have um, a kind of a distant relationship with him than to have the fullness of a very real relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like, Do you know what you could be missing? And what you could be missing is what Jesus Christ actually intended to give you in the first place. Because Jesus, a very real person, put on very real flesh to come and make a very real peace with a very real people, with a very real God. And he died on a very real cross and he came back to a very real life again. And then he sent a very real spirit so that you and I could continue to live a very real life until he really comes back again someday. And when he does, he's going to take you and I to a very real place. Like that's what life in Jesus should look like. Do you have that life? Or do you have a shadow of that life? Recognize just how much God desires to love you through Jesus. This morning, what we want to do is close by singing a song that you all know, but kind of mirrors the song that we just read about in Mark chapter 11. So why don't you stand? And what we are going to do is we are going to do our best to sing to a very real Jesus about a very real deliverance that we really, really need. Amen? So sing well, my brothers and sisters, because truly Jesus Christ is our deliverer and our peace.